tomorrow can be bigger. Just grow, let the world overflow. Live a life bigger than yourself. You're created for greatness. Live a life bigger than yourself. You are listening to the Live Big Broadcast with Derek Greer. Today, we will hear a classic message that we believe will be a blessing to you. Our goal is to teach God's Word in a way that compels you to live a life that overflows and blesses others. Let's get started. Genesis 21 and verse 8. How many know you you don't come to church just to hear a preacher? You come to be in the presence of God. Amen. Amen. So you've already gotten what you came for. This is just icing on the cake. And the child Isaac grew and was weaned. In this part of the world, a child was weaned usually at about three years old. Uh, There were some records of children being weaned as late as five years old, some as late as 12. Can anyone in here say, yuck with me? Yeah. When my child has a beard, I don't want him, you know. But again, they were nomads, a different time in history and Soft food, I guess, wasn't as easy to come. I don't know. But uh, they kept at it a long time. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was, was weaned. If you're familiar with the scriptures, you know, Abraham was a family man. Family meant everything to Abraham, and he celebrated at every possible miles, milestone. He paid for the pony. He uh, you know, hired the clown, he was a trampolines, you know, everything. You know, he was a daddy, he loved his kid, and he celebrated. But in verse 9, is a dark cloud about to move into this happy occasion. Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian. Now, for the latter verses to make sense, we have to do some math together. So we're going to turn to Genesis 16 and verse 16. Um, this is a side and a side. I just, again, I talking to you, but I feel like the Lord's talking to me. I've said before that you should never build a house where God only intended for you to build or pitch a tent. Do not make permanent that which should be temporary. And as I look around this building, I just have such a sense that this is not where we're going. It's just a stop on the journey, and we're not to rest on our laurels. We have a long way to go and a lot of people to reach. Genesis 16, 16. Let's just keep going. And Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. So how old was Abraham when he had uh, Ishmael? 86. Genesis 21 and 5. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. How old was he when he had Isaac? Okay. Subtract 86 from 100. What do you come up with? Only three or four people were able to catch that. (laughs) There was about 14 years between the two boys. And if Isaac was weaned at uh, uh, three years old, the odds are that Ishmael was about 17 at the time of this event. And if you do not know that about Ishmael and Isaac, the the remainder of the story is not going to make a whole lot of sense to you. It's going to sound like uh, Abraham was a particularly cruel individual. Genesis 21 and verse 9, but Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had bore to Abraham, laughing. 
So here's the picture. Isaac and his friends were playing at Chuck E. Cheese, and, uh, you know, the party was going on good, and, and the pizza had been out, and, and Isaac was on the Stomper DLX arcade dance machine. How many of you know, know that machine? And in the midst of his dancing, it, it started suddenly to get ugly. And, you know, you, 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 when you read the text here in the ESV, it kind of sounds like a light thing, you know, that maybe, uh, uh, you know, his brother was just, you know, making some lighthearted uh, uh, jokes about his brother. But Galatians verse uh, 4 and 22 tells us more. This was not just harmless play. It says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. And it was speaking of Abraham and Hagar here. But just at that time, skip to verse 29, he who was born according to the flesh, that's Ishmael, persecuted. What did he do? Persecuted. This laughter, again, was not a light thing. It was actually persecution, and it was the beginning of something that, if it was not corrected, could have ended very, very badly. Even though this is the Bible, we understand that in the Bible, very, very serious things have happened in households. How many are familiar with the first couple chapters of the book of Genesis? What happened? Uh, uh, what were the two boys' names? Cain and what? Abel. What did, what did Cain do? Killed his brother. We know of the conflict between Esau uh, and his brother. And we, we know that, that uh, what happened actually with Joseph, his brother stuck him in a pit trying to kill him, and they sold him off into slavery. So this was not a light thing. When you're dealing with rural cultures where, where mistakes happen and, and you know, the, the police are not going to come up with sirens behind you the way they do here, uh, lots of strange and mysterious things happen to people. And uh, Abraham understood what was going on and, and, and what was beginning or being birthed in his household. It said, but just at that time, he who was born according to the flesh, Ishmael, persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. That's Isaac. So this is not just light teasing. It's persecution. Not only that, there's a great difference between the two boys. One is probably about three years old, and the other is about 17. And it's the beginning of a no-win situation for every person involved here. And if not corrected, this type of animosity could have ended very badly and very violently. So mom had to step in here and make some changes in order to protect her little Isaac. Back to Genesis 21 and 10. So she, Sarah, this is mom, said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son. Now, Sarah had already tried to uh, put Hagar out when she was pregnant with Ishmael. So if you think you're from a dysfunctional family, you know, uh, uh, be at rest because this family puts the D on dysfunction. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You, you, you no longer have to go to soap operas and all the rest to, to get your dose of soap operas. You don't need any reality shows. All you got to do is read this book. And you're going to discover some families that were, that were dealing with some serious crisis, serious problems, and some serious situations. Genesis 16, 1 and 6, we're going to dig a little bit deeper, and we're going to look into what, what's actually happening by the time we get to uh, Genesis 21, which we're studying. Sarai became Sarah, just like Abram became Abraham. Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was what or who? Hagar. What was her name? Okay. And she's a slave. And Sarai said to Abraham, behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Now go into my what? Servant. According to the Hammurabi Code, which uh, probably dated about uh, 1700 BC or so, 
uh, where actually they encoded a lot of the laws and customs of that particular time period. And if you want to understand what was going on in that time period, you can take a look at this code. And according to that code, this was something not only permissible, but sometimes uh, advisable. And what Sarah was doing here seems a little odd to us, but she was actually recommending a very, very acceptable cultural practice. But when we let the culture dictate above God's word, we always end up in trouble. How many know that's true? Well, you know, she, she's trying to be progressive. She's trying to, you know, uh, be hip and all the rest. So she, she said, you know what, let, let's do a little swing in here. And, 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 and then he said, okay, that's not in the text, but that's what, that's what happened. He said, go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. There's absolutely nothing new under the sun. This is one of the earliest examples of surrogate motherhood, which in recent years has, uh, you know, been revisited in the United States. We're seeing a lot of people uh, do this type of thing. But, you know, we think we're new and, oh, man, this, you know, this is something fresh. No, no, no. It's been going on for a long time. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. Again, a lot of ideas seem progressive. A lot of ideas you know, seem like the next bright thing to do, but ultimately give them enough time and it will end up in pain. Skip to verse four. He followed his wife's advice. How many of y'all want a wife like, just joking. <laughs> and he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she conceived, she began to look down on Sarah because she had a baby and Sarah didn't. She looked with contempt on her mistress. Brothers, whenever you start dealing with more than one woman, you can be sure that trouble is just around the corner. Does anyone understand that? People aren't sure to say amen, to say what. (laughs) I said, listen, I just feel like the Lord wants us to have a little talking to this morning. So you can't say amen, say ouch or oh me or something, but just say something. Let me know you're in the room and, and encourage me to keep going. And, and Sarah said to Abraham or Abram, pay attention here. Who came up with the idea? I mean, she was watching a show on television. They came up with some new advice and, you know, new thing. Cosmo magazine, it was the article was on how to do this new thing. She came, brought it to her husband. And he's like, you know, let's do it. About verse 5, watch what happens. May the wrong done to me be on you. Here's the downside of being the head of the household. When something goes wrong, even if it wasn't your idea, it's still your responsibility. And you know what? She may have came up with the idea, but you ought to known better. And Sarah said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. I was trying to embrace the times. I I was trying to do what everybody else did. I was trying to to follow the Cosmo, you know, uh, uh, article. And again, I was trying to be hip. I, I was trying to, you know, be fresh. But when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with what? Contempt. Then she said, may the Lord judge between you and me. How many of you know there's trouble in paradise? Mama is not happy. And sometimes, man, you have to protect mama from herself. I'm telling you, it's, it's, y'all are scared in this room. The men are looking at their wives. Can I applaud to that? I don't, okay. 
Thank you. But watch Abraham. He said to Sarah, behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. This is absolutely pitiful. This is the worst example of manly leadership in the Bible. What he did is what many of us do. There's a problem with the kids and you say, well, you go fix it. There's a problem at the schoolhouse. Well, well you go fix it. There's a problem with, with your boy or your girl and, and your neighbor next door. Your, Mama, you go fix it. Abraham, all he did was he just washed his hands of his responsibility and told his wife to fix it by herself. And you see, man, we get mad at our wives when they don't fix it the way we think it should be fixed. The reality is we should have never left them alone. They were jointly responsible. She came up with the idea, but Abraham took his clothes off. Both of them had a responsibility here. But again, you know, he stays back, do what you want. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her. These strange arrangements seem intend to bring out the worst in people. We we always try to do something new. We're trying to reinvent the wheel. Guess what? The wheel works. You can't improve upon it. The wheel is the wheel is the wheel. So my guess is here, you know, the, the Bible's a little veiled here, but harshly, it's, it's, a, ter- it's, it's a strong term there. And it, it almost, you get the idea that, you know, uh, Sarah started whipping on Hagar. He probably, she, she probably struck her. Like, I'll show you who's the boss around here. And, and again, some of these arrangements we put our women in does not bring out the best, but the worst in them. And then it says, and she fled, speaking of Hagar, from her. So Abraham not only has an angry wife, now he has a jealous wife. On top of that, he has a baby's mama. And his baby mama is pregnant, now on the run. So this thing begins to snowball into to, to, to more confusion and more hurt. Both women are hurting. And Abraham, again, is just backed up and say, you know, I just did what men did. And, you know, I just did my thing. And y'all figure this thing out. Genesis 21 and 10. Now that we have some background, we can go a little further. Once again, a conversation you need to have some time ago. We're going to have this morning. So Sarah said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son. Right now, Sarah is talking through her teeth. She's so angry she can't even say Hagar's name or the boy's name. Just get that woman out of my house. This is where the whole thing has has come to. But how did it happen? Abraham said yes. When he knew, he ought to said no. For the son of this slave woman shall not be an heir with my son, Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. Abraham broke God's heart when he went into Hagar. But now Abraham's heart is broke as he reaps the confusion and the pain that his deed has sown. Biblical Bible morality is not a burden to restrict us. It is a blessing designed to protect us. God created us in everything we have. And, and I watch every generation. You know, I'm not old enough to be, I'm not super old, but, but I've watched it. You know, I know what my generation did. We, we acted like our parents didn't know. Listen, every thought I had, my daddy done thought. And, and as I say to my boys, boy, every 
thought you think I've already thought it, been there, done. You hear what I'm saying? I, I've already done. Every generation act like sex is new. Oh, they just don't know. You know, we're doing it different. I mean, how different? You know what I'm saying? Let's not. Let's, let's, let's come back. Let's come back. But every generation, they, they like, you know, we on the edge. You know, we got something they don't got. What you mean? Some of us got 30, 40, 50 years at it. You hear what I'm saying? Working this thing. We might know just a little bit about it. But beyond that, God created this stuff. The Bible said after he created man, on the sixth day, he saw man and he looked at everything. And by the way, they were naked. And the Bible made that point. So Adam's there with his junk and everything, you know, doing what he does. And, and, and Eve is there and she's bouncing and behaving and all that's happening. got to make church fun, right? And the Bible said, and God saw it and said it was good. God created the stuff we made a game of. You see, before I met the Lord, I played with sex. It was a game. And I played in the play, but it was more like Russian roulette, if I tell you the truth. But a lot of our kids are playing with sex. It's just a game. I'm about to go through some, I'm thinking, how do I get back to my text? But let me tell you something, and I might have said this before, but you know, you watch a woman have a couple babies where she has stress marks where she didn't have before, and she says there's a little more to it than there was on that wedding day. Hear what I'm saying? And you had a long day's work, and, and she's dealing with them children, and, and let me tell you, sex ain't a game no more. And that's where the real, you hear what I'm, that's where real stuff needs to occur and happen. Sex was designed to be the glue to help folks through the rough spots. Okay, y'all not helping me much. Okay, you're thinking. That's what's happening. You're thinking about what I'm saying. That's what it is. Listen, God knew how difficult marriage would be. He said, I got to give y'all something special. He said, I'm going to give y'all something to work out and work with for years. And it's going to be special to this relationship because y'all need that type of glue. And psychologists and psychiatrists, people who studied, you know, human behavior, they say, you know, in the church they would call it soul bonds and all that. But, but in, in, in science, they would say that when a, woman, a man and a woman are intimate, there's a bond formed. And you, you can't really explain it, but there's a connection. And if you remember back, back when you were playing with sex, even though, you know, that guy might not have known your name, you were waiting for the call because there was a bond. And, and guys don't bond as well sometimes as the ladies. But nonetheless, there was a bonding involved. And the covenant of marriage, in order to endure the tribulations and the challenges, God gave it a special sweet spot that no other relationship should or would have. And it was all, again, to strengthen the marriage. Right, let's just get back to, to Scripture here. Well, the thing got Abraham upset. He's hurting. And that's what this stuff's designed to do. When we use something out of its original intention and purpose, it breaks us. It hurts us. It harms us. Okay, I'm still stuck on this point. Sex is a gift not to be toyed with. Just because the music was good and you had a, a few glasses of, 
the adage is, if it feels good, do it. The only thing, there's a lot of feel good that's killing us. Matter of fact, when I was a young kid, you know, the worst you might get from dealing wrongly is maybe some bumps on your body. But now this stuff will kill you. If we make a game out of what God wants us to take serious, we not only dishonor ourselves, we not only dishonor God, we dishonor our community. You say your sexual relationship is personal, is it? When my taxes are being used to pay for your child? Because daddy is not there, you don't have enough money, and you said it was personal and private, not anymore. It will eventually become a community issue. Because those children are going to live, and, and if you let them, and, and, and they're going to live, and, and, they, they, and man, they, culture and society has to deal with them. Do you understand? Okay, let's, let's go back to the text, and, and we'll see what happens this morning. And then he said, God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your, uh-oh. God said, your slave woman. This love triangle was not God's idea. God calls Hagar, your slave. I didn't do this. You did this. And he's making it clear. Then he said, whatever Sarah, your real wife. How many of y'all have a real wife and a... Whatever Sarah... Mother, y'all should be applauding me right now because I'm about to help you. (laughs) I'm scared of what I'm going to say next. Whatever Sarah... Your real wife says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This is what's beautiful about God. Listening to Sarah is what got him into this mess, but God gives Sarah an opportunity to redeem herself. And he gives her a word so that she can... uh, Fix the situation and correct the situation. And God will give you a chance to fix the things that you have made wrong. And in verse 13, he said, And I will make a nation, pay attention, of the son of the slain woman also. Is that what it says? God is awesome. He's incredible. There's none beyond compare. I mean, none can compare to our God. If you will address your mistake... God will bless your mistake also. He said, I'm going to bless Isaac, but he said, listen, I will make a great nation of that boy. That thing you did with that slave woman when you ought not to have, I'll make something of him also. He said, the reason why is because he's your offspring. There's only one reason God blessed Ishmael. It wasn't because he was good, because we just found out he wasn't. He was trying to pick on a three-year-old child that couldn't defend himself. He wasn't a good boy. The only reason God blessed him was because of who he belonged to. And we find that principle playing itself out throughout Scripture. It's not always because I'm great and, and I'm so deserving, but because I belong to God, because he loved me, because I've given myself to him. You understand what I'm saying here? 
So Abraham rose up early in the morning. He did this when he had to sacrifice Isaac, and this was uh, his manner when he, when he had to do something for God. He didn't postpone it. He didn't procrastinate. He went out and did it. He rose up early in the morning and took bread and skin of water. He didn't want to do it, but he did it, and he gave it to Hagar. And Sometimes we do the wrong thing. Even fixing this thing it can, can, can be a little bit painful, and the pain's not always going to go away. Putting it on her shoulders along with the child, meaning it was, it was sufficient water. For the trip, it took both of their shoulders to carry it. But then he sent her what? Away. We see something here. Good man will provide sufficient bread and water, even for children of dubious origins. Abraham provided for them and sent them. But it cost him some water and some bread. And it may cost you a little bit of bread to do right by that child. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. This is why God's against sin. Its effects will always leave somebody exposed, hurting, and walking around in a circle somewhere. It's not because God's trying to keep something from you. He's again trying to protect you and keep you safe. This has been a classic edition of the Live Big Broadcast with Derek Greer, pastor of Grace Church in Dumfries, Virginia. We pray that you join us tomorrow as we continue this teaching. Our prayer is that this teaching from God's Word strengthens and inspires you to live a life bigger than yourself. So remember, you can access this message and much more for free at gracechurchva.org. And we also invite you to join the Grace Church family for service online by connecting on our website or on YouTube at gracechurchva.tv. That's our time for today. Until next time, remember, you have what it takes to live big.